This is Rio of Madison Rising, and you're listening to our acoustic version of the Star Spangled Banner here on KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stride and bright stars through the perilous fight oh the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming and the rockets ran
You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at R-A-H-A-R-D-I-N dot com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome to God's Pure Word of Faith. I'm Richard Harden, and again, I want to thank the Lord and the management of KLRN Radio for this great opportunity to share God's Word with you today. Today I want to take you on kind of like a little a bus trip around the city or, uh, you know, a, a tour. But instead of being around a city, I want to take you around, you know, Jesus' life. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm going to be sharing a lot of scriptures today. And it, it's an opportunity every time we hear God's word to increase our faith. Because like a scripture says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but only if you receive it. Like uh, Psalms 119, 9 says, wherewithal shall a young man uh, cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to God's word. Not just hearing God's word and letting it go in one ear and out the other, but heeding it and receiving it into your heart. And when you receive Jesus' words into your heart, 
John 6:63, Jesus says, My words are spirit, and they are life. So see, when we are receiving his words into our heart, we're receiving his spirit. We're receiving the spirit of Christ into our heart and the spirit of life into our heart. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. See, and that's how we receive his life, by receiving his living words, Christ, into our heart. And like Proverbs 4.22 says, God's words are life to those who find them. Because see, we're receiving the spirit of his words, a life into us. God's words are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And see, we can grow today in faith, grow today in uh, you know health and strength just by receiving more of God's word in us. Now, not just from listening to my broadcast here, but you, you can get out to your scriptures today and start reading and praying and seeking the Lord. And the scriptures. And grow in faith as you're receiving his word then into your heart. But see, that's the importance of God's word, is to receive it into your heart. And that's why, uh, well, his word, God and his word are the same. In fact, his word is just his manifestation of himself to us in an intelligent message in our mind. And we say that then is God's but it's God himself. In John chapter 1, says, In the beginning was a word, and the word was God, and the word was God. See? And the, God, the word still is God today. His spoken living word is Christ. 1 Corinthians one twenty four, the Apostle Paul says that Christ is the power of God, the creative power of God, and the wisdom of God. And all of God's power is in Christ, his living word, as he speaks the word, says, Let there be light. His living word then goes forth. Christ goes forth and creates light. And that same Christ is the one that lives in our heart. If we're a Christian, if we're a child of God, if we've received his word in our heart, that same living word then, Christ is in us. Like Colossians 127, Apostle Paul says, The mystery of the gospel is Christ in us, our hope of glory. So listen intently, but but listen with an attitude of, wanting to receive more of his word. And today as I take you on this kind of like trip through the scriptures of the gospel, I'm going to have about ten uh, stops, you might say. Ten stops or ten uh, different type little messages or something that will lead us down this road today. And naturally the first one is the gospel. Then the second one then is the need of the gospel that what caused it was the curse of the law. And then how Jesus overcame that curse of the law for us, his perfect walk of faith and the shedding of his blood. And then his crucifixion, his dying on the cross for, you know, offering a perfect sacrifice for us. And then we're going to take a look at the three days then after he died on the cross until he was resurrected. What happened during those three days that we know of in the scripture. Then uh, his resurrection and what it means about our death, our physical death coming up. You know, each one of us is going to be faced with that. And, and what does Jesus' resurrection mean to us? And then what does he mean to us in our living between now and then? His resurrection. How does it influence our life today? And in two great ways is for the forgiveness of our sins and for the cleansing of our heart. And then 
What shall we do about this great news and the great gospel that we've received from the Lord? Well, that's what each of us need to be concerned about, living for Him, serving Him, sharing, sharing with others that others might receive. But now let's get started then. And we'll start with the Apostle Paul states in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, uh, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also you received, and wherein you stand. Verse 2, by which also you are saved. Now, saved means, for those of you who may not be aware of that term and everything, what it means, it means from the penalty of our sins that we have to pay for. Either we have to pay for it, or we can turn to the Lord, and He's made provision that we can be set free of those sins. So we're saved from the judgment of our sins. Okay, by which also you're saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you believe in, have believed in vain. Now, see, it is possible, you know, to believe and not receive it into your heart. Like for an example, you know, we can hear God's word over and over and over and over, but like it says in, well, Hebrews 4.2, it says the gospel preached to them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, you can hear the gospel and reject it. See, and, and know it's true. You can believe it. But also it says in second, let's say James chapter 2, verse 19, it says the devils believe and tremble. See, they knew when Jesus came into the presence of the demons, they cried out, Jesus, our Son of the Most High God, why do you torment us for our time? So see, that's a, a they believe. But now, here it's saying that uh, unless you believed in vain. Now, believed in vain means to no effect uh, by failing to act on it. Uh, not responding the way, you know, that you should. And a lot of us do things like that in the way we eat. Uh, not exercising our bodies and things like that. We know we should and things like that, you know, but there's things we neglect. And that's what it means here. You've believed in vain. You know the gospel. You've heard the gospel, but you haven't responded to where it benefits you. And in verse 3, For I have delivered you first of all that which I also received, how that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now he's saying this is a gospel of good news, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So I want to share with you the scriptures today that tell why Jesus died according to the scriptures, and he was buried and rose again, and, and what it means to us, or, or what he did it for, because that was a lot of suffering that he went through. Uh, that he didn't have to because he said his father gave him permission. He didn't have to do it. But anyway, let's go on through here. Deuteronomy 27:26 explains to us uh, that our need for a Savior, at least in one of the verses it does, it says, Cursed be him that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say amen. That was God speaking to Moses there to the people. Now, now many people have tried to live good, but it just it'll last a little while. But you know, you just you can't make it. There's no way. Uh, Psalms 119:21, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from Thy commandments. Well, that's all of us, you know, erring from His commandments. It's not a one of us that's been perfect except Jesus. Now, 
Jeremiah 11, 3. See, it says all through the scriptures. Come on, see. And say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant. So, we're all in that situation when we're born. And the people of the Old Testament, when, when we're born, you know, we're all um, in total sin. Because total sin is separation of a heart from God, and we're born without the Spirit of Christ or without the Spirit of God in our heart. So we're all born sin. It doesn't mean little babies are terrible or anything like this, but they grow up learning what their parents and their school and their friends and everything teach them, and it depends on the society they grow up in and, you know, the type of customs and things like this is, is what they receive into their hearts, and some do become terrible. Some become very good. But yet they're all in sin because until they have faced Christ and invited him into their heart, you know, they're still separated in their heart from God. And that is what total sin is, total separation from God. Okay. Now, when we talk about the curse of the law, we're not talking about generational curses. Uh, we're talking about people obeying the law like, you know, forgive others. Uh, pray for those who despitefully use you. You know, uh, and things like this. You know, don't use the Lord's name in vain. We're talking about that kind of law. The generational curse now, for those of you that might be listening that don't know this, uh, the generational curses do not exist today. And a lot of people around the country are teaching about generational curses, curses and selling uh, packages to help you get delivered from generational curses for 40 and for $100 and things like this. Well, I'll tell you how to get delivered from generational curses. Very cheap, free. Get a Bible and read Ezekiel chapter 18. About 25 or 30 verses in Ezekiel 18. Every one of them say that God ended the generational curses way back there centuries ago. Now, so take a look at that and you can save yourself some money. Now, Romans 6.23, though, says... For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, we can't be perfect and obey every word of the law. Only Jesus did. Only Jesus could. And and he made it, you know, and, and that's why uh, we say it's good news, you know. But it's just, you know, uh, how he died according to the scriptures because he uh, fulfilled the requirements of all the sacrifices for sin and he was buried and resurrected he was victory over the grave and everything but see he paid the price for our sin debt and that's why the scriptures often say you know that we're saved or Christians say we're saved that's what they mean we're saved from that sin debt that we could not pay you know but there's only two options though for our sins either we turn to the Lord and take his free gift of forgiving our sins and, and wiping the slate clean and adopting us into his family as a child of God, you know, turning to him, or we are left with that sin debt, and when we leave this life, we're going to have eternity in a lake of fire. Well, eternity in a lake of fire, we'll never get our sin debts paid for because we'll be there, and that's it, for eternity. But we can turn to the Lord now invite him to come into our heart and receive his free gift here like it says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord 2 Corinthians 5.19 says to wit that God was in Jesus reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them 
Galatians 3.10, for as many of, of the works of the law are under the curse. See, if you try to obey the law and do it yourself and everything, you know, we're all under that curse of the law, and, and you can't make it. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Now, what does that mean, just shall live by faith? Uh, you've probably heard a lot of different comments and definitions of faith and everything. But faith is the word we use to express the fact that when God speaks to someone, they accept and receive into their heart what he speaks to them. See, that's receiving his word by faith. The scripture says in Romans 10, 17, but faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But only if you receive his word into your heart. Like uh, Psalms 119, 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way. It doesn't just say by hearing God's word. It says by heeding God's word. See, and in Romans 10, 17, where it says faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, that hearing there includes heeding in the root word. So it, it's not just hearing it's hearing and receiving into your heart whatever it is God is manifesting and speaking to you. So it says the just shall live by faith. That's why the scripture goes on to say then in Hebrews 11, 6, it, but without faith it's impossible to please God. Because see, you can't possibly please God if you're hearing his word and rejecting it. Because see, he and his word are the same. When he manifests his word to you, that's him manifesting his word. That's a living God manifesting his word to you. And we say like he spoke to us or he sent his word to us. But no, it's him coming to us. He and his word are the same. He's just manifest. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 19, it tells about the children of Israel. They all knew coming out of bondage and slavery that they were going to the promised land. They got up to the Jordan River and they were supposed to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. They sent out 12 spies and 10 of them came back and said, hey, these giants over there, we're like grasshoppers to them. We can't go in there. Well, see, they didn't trust God enough after seeing all those miracles worked in Egypt and, and through the trip, the journey to the promised land, all those miracles they'd seen. They didn't trust God enough to take care of them when they entered the promised land. Now, it was his will, his word. And they rejected it. It says in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 19, it says, Don't harden your heart in departing from the living God like they did. See, because when, when we hear from God, it's Him manifesting in us. And if we reject what He says, see, we're rejecting the living God. Not just rejecting a message, a twix, or a fax, or something like that from Him. We're rejecting Him. And his word. And how can we can't be pleasing to him in any way if we're rejecting him. Now, in verse 19, then, Hebrews 3.19 says, They fail to enter in because of an evil heart of unbelief. So see, when you know God's will, and you know God's word, and you reject it, I say you, you know, like that, me, all of us, you know, when we know God's word and we reject it, it's unbelief. And it causes trouble. Now, as Christians, like 2 Corinthians 2, 10, 11. Forgive others lest you give Satan advantage. See, when we reject his word and fail to forgive somebody, we hold that unforgiveness. It's not just a nice thing to do to forgive. 
Now, it is nice to do it, but that's not all there is to it. When we're rejecting God's word willfully like that, we're giving Satan advantage in our life. And you look in Deuteronomy 28, a list of curses there. He's going to bring as many of those into our life as he can. Because in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus said. And he's going to do as much to you as he can while you're holding that unforgiveness and violating God's law. Now, it says the law is not a faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. If you're trying to, you know, live by the law, you know, you're going to have to live in it and pay the price for it. Because Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And see, he was crucified for us, hanging on a tree. He took the curse that we should have had to take. But he took it for us. That's why it says, The wages of sin and death, but the gift of God, the eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, in John uh, 17, when Jesus died on that cross, hung on the tree for us to, to take that curse for us, it just says in John 17:4, Jesus said in his last prayer to his Father before he went to the cross, I've glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. See, and it finished up on the cross, taking the curse that we don't have to take. The curse of the law. Now, for us, John 19.30, up on the cross, right before he died, he said, it is finished. His work was finished. It was done here on earth. He didn't have to go to hell to finish that work, like some people teach and everything. He finished it on the cross, his perfect walk of faith and sin. Now, why did he have to go to the cross? Let's take a look at a few of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, the Old Testament people to, to uh, get forgiveness of their sins, they had to offer sacrifices. And first, they had to have a priest that uh, was without sin. So the first thing that took place when they were uh, going through all these sacrifices, the priest had to get himself taken care of. And to do this, in Leviticus chapter 4, verse 3, it says they had to have an animal without blemish. It says, if a priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he has sinned, um, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for sin offering. And then in Leviticus 4, 6, it says, And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary, before the mercy seat. Now, the veil of the sep uh, sanctuary is one that separated, you know, uh, people from the innermost part of the temple where only the priest could go in. He had to be, you know, he had to have his sins forgiven. If, if he went in there with sin, he was he, he dead. They had to, the, in fact, the, they, what, tied a rope or something like that to the feet of the priest that went in there in case something happened, you know, like that. They could pull him out because they couldn't go in there to get him. They had to pull him out, you know, if he died in there. But now 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, when it, the heart of man, turns to the Lord, the veil of separation is lifted. Now, this is the veil that's talking about here, that innermost holy part with the Lord. See, now, when our heart turns to the Lord, we turn to Him and ask forgiveness and everything, that veil of separation is removed. We can fellowship with the Lord. He has fellowship with us, and that's completely broken. But now, the priest had to do this before he could, you know, take and, and help the congregation get their sins forgiven. 
So the congregation then, the people had to have a priest without sin. And see, Jesus fulfills that for us. We'll get through later. But he's our priest without sin. And that's why he had to walk the perfect walk of faith. Now, he had, so they had to kill the bullock and uh, sprinkle the blood seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary, before the mercy. And in verse uh, chapter 16, verse 14, Leviticus. And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward and before the mercy seat shall be sprinkled with blood with his finger seven times. Now, the priest is cleansed. So that's the first requirement. And we had to have a priest. We had to have a perfect person that could, could minister to us and help us in gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, he had to become our perfect sacrifice. Now, uh, let's see. I'll be right back in just a minute. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden.
requirements for the Old Testament sacrifices that um, allowed people to get forgiveness of sin started with first they had to have a priest that was cleansed from his sin so he had to you know go through the sacrifices for himself um, kill a bullock without blemish and sprinkle the blood of that bullock seven times uh, on and before the mercy seat of God to the east now once he's cleansed he's got to go through the similar process with the congregations each of the congregation that want to be forgiven. Leviticus 4.14 says they must have a bullock and two goats. Now here's three animals. Notice that no, we've got three animals involved in this and without blemish. Now as far as they could determine, they had to get the best of the bunch without blemish. Now, and they had to sprinkle the blood of the bullock seven times on or before the mercy seat of God. Uh, the goat, the two goats now, one of them was used for the uh, sin offering. But the uh, bullock had to be with him. Uh, he was uh, slaughtered, sacrificed, and his blood was sprinkled. And in, the, in Leviticus 16, 7 through 10, it explains here about the three. It says, And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle. And Aaron shall, Aaron the priest, in, in that particular case in those days he would have been the one that had to make sure and get himself his sins forgiven cleansed first Aaron cast lots upon the two goats one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering but the goat on which the lot fell to be a scapegoat he should be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement now atonement is a uh, like bringing us back into reconciliation or taking away that separation between us and God or something like this. Okay, so the scapegoat then shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So he's going to take those sins away and just take them out into the wilderness and do away with them. Now see, that that's what Jesus is going to do for us if we turn to him. He's uh, he's going to also perform this function as being the scapegoat for our sins. He's a perfect sacrifice up here uh, for the forgiveness, and he fulfills a requirement here too. Now, continuing then, it says down Leviticus 16:21, and Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. And send him away into uh, by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. The scapegoat takes the sins away into the wilderness, never to come back again. Isaiah 53, 6, um, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, now Jesus fulfilled that part of it too. He took the sins, and I'll explain to you in a minute how he did that uh, as we go along. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he, God, has made him to be sin for us, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he paid the, the, the price on the cross in fulfilling this. At first, he was our, he's our priest you know, without sin, that he can minister to us and everything. Then he went through the cross and provided the perfect sacrifices for us and fulfill the scapegoat too of taking our sins so Jesus became 
or fulfill the sacrificial requirements of the scapegoat to carry away our sins. Now, uh, the priest without sin, animal without blood, sprinkle seven times the blood, mercy seat, or and let's see, the scapegoat now was a sacrifice from cleansing for our sins and everything, but uh, these sacrifices in the Old Testament also included, which you might be surprised to hear, sacrifices for sin. In the Leviticus chapter 4, excuse me, in Leviticus chapter 14 later on, it talks about people being cleansed from uh, leprosy. Now, that was the worst disease they had. I don't know what our disease would be, I guess cancer or, or AIDS or something like this, but a combination of them. But anyway, leprosy in those days, and probably still today, you know, people have leprosy, you know, is one of the most terrible diseases. And so in Leviticus 14.4, it says, take two birds. Now see, the sacrifice has changed. It's not the bullock and goats now, but it's take two birds. Kill one into some running water. And then you take the second one, I guess, and hold it by its feet, but you dip the second one that's still alive into that bloody running water, and you use a bird then, after it's been dipped in this bloody mix of water and everything, to sprinkle seven times the person that is being uh, cleansed from leprosy. You sprinkle the blood seven times on the person to be cleansed. And then you take the living bird that you use as a sprinkler and shake that blood all over the person being cleansed. You take him outside of town like the scapegoat, you know, took the sins away from the people. You take this uh, live bird out and loose him way out of town like that. So in a sense, he's taking the sickness away. Now, God wasn't just concerned about the person being cleansed. Where has the person been? You know, we quarantine a lot of people that have sicknesses and everything and clean that place up and everything like that when they move out or if they leave that area, they it gets cleaned real good. In Leviticus 14, verse 49, again, they were concerned about this person's house where he's been living. They took two birds over to this guy's house. They kill one bird and sprinkle the blood with the living bird again. They kill one bird in running water. They got that bloody water mix. They dipped a live bird in it, I guess holding by his feet. And you can know, you could tell he'd probably be flapping his wings. And whoever's doing it is going to get blood all over them too. But they're going to take that bird. And seven times they're going to sprinkle the inside of that house with this a bloody mix from the first blood of, of, for the first bird that was killed. Then they're going to do the same thing with the living bird. They're going to take it outside the city to make atonement for the house. You know, making atonement for the house up there was making atonement for the person. But see, that separation everything. Atonement for the house. Now, if God's so concerned about uh, people in the Old Testament getting cleansed from leprosy and even their houses getting cleansed and everything, and Jesus fulfilled these sacrifices, I think we could look through the New Testament and see why it says 14 times in the in the Gospels of the New Testament that 
everywhere Jesus went in those large crowds, like uh, let's see, Matthew nine uh, thirty six is the first one I, well, the one I think of. Like he went through all the cities, all the villages, preaching the gospel and healing all manner of sicknesses and diseases. That is stated fourteen times in the gospel. Jesus healed thousands and thousands of people. Now, because in, in just one of those meetings, it was 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. And 3,000, another case, not counting the women and children. So you can see all the healings that Jesus did, it couldn't have possibly been uh, any of them in there that God had put sicknesses on. Because if Jesus had healed someone that his father had put sickness on, he would have been sinning. He would have been violating his father's will. And uh, causing that person to and everything. So see, all those healings Jesus did, every one of them had to be his father's will. Because he only did and said what his father told him to do and say. So you can see there was a lot of sicknesses uh, Jesus healed. And he can heal yours today too. Now, I know most preachers won't preach this and everything like that. But Jesus said in John fifteen seven, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, that his words. See, he's concerned about us receiving his words into our heart. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. person's not going to be asking crazy things if God's word's abiding in him and everything like that. But I tell you what, if you're sick this morning, and you've never turned to the Lord for healing, you've been taught from these different uh, people throughout our society and that God doesn't work that way anymore and that, you know that Jesus only healed a few people in the New Testament to give theological you know uh, meaning and everything to the healing and stuff like that you can see from that even just Matthew was it 936 uh, that he healed all manner of sicknesses and diseases and it says that 13 other times in the scriptures Jesus healed a lot of them and he didn't question each of those people and say now did you do this what caused this you know what have you been doing how you've been eating how you've been exercising no he just healed them he was preaching the gospel and healed them and it was part of the good news is that he set the captives free and you say captives are they captive yes of the devil John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And somehow the, the devil had been captive over all these people. And for you listening today, every sickness out there in this radio land, internet land, whatever you want to call it, every sickness is from the devil. It is not from God. God does not put sicknesses on us to teach us things. That, that's not his love, a way of working. He's come to set us free of being captive and uh, and just like in, I mentioned a while ago in Second Corinthians 2 10 11 forgive others lest you give Satan advantage See, and that's how he gets advantage even in Christian lives there's so many Christians in hospitals across our nation right now because they've all in unforgiveness someone or like in let's see what's Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4 26 27 be angry sin not let not the sun go down in your wrath neither give place to the devil when you're hanging on to that anger that bitterness and things like this you're giving place to the devil in your life then he has control in your life then it's blocking you from your sins I mean your prayers being answered and things like this or family relationships first Peter 3 7 says husbands dwell with your wives according to knowledge being joint heirs of grace of life as unto the weaker vessel lest your prayers be hindered that's not what we want we don't want our prayers to be hindered 
we want John 15, 7, where Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done. Now, I guess I better keep going here. I won't be able to get this through. Okay. When uh, they were offering these sacrifices uh, for sins and things like this, you know, the animal was taken apart. And like it is. Leviticus 8, chapters 10 through 11, Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all therein sanctified it. And he sprinkled thereupon the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all the vessels, both the laver and his foot, to sanctify them. Now, coming out of this uh, animal that was killed and sacrificed for the sins of the people was the fat from inside the animal, and they made oil out of it. Leviticus 3.3, the fat that covered the innards, and all the fat that is upon the innards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver with the kidneys, and the fat shall he take away. Again, in verse 19 to 10, it says, and, it, and in a sense, taking this fat out to make this oil is about like the Holy Spirit coming out and coming forth out of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because he says, you know, I'm going to uh, send the comforter back. And if, when I go, the comforter, he got father, my father's going to send you someone else, you know, in my place and everything. John 14, verses 15 to 20. He says, the comforter, you know, like that. Well, this is kind of like this, you know, out of the sacrifice of an animal, this fat is going to come. It's going to provide this oil. And the oil, a lot of time, represents, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit, people use oil to anoint people for healing and praying for them or whatever they need. Verse 16 says here in uh, Leviticus 3, And the priest shall burn them, the fat, upon the altar. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savor. And it says all the fat is the Lord's. You know, people weren't supposed to get any of that fat. Verse 17, And it shall be a perpetual statue for your generation throughout all your dwellings that you eat neither fat nor blood. Now, we've kind of heard about the blood and everything, but I tell you what, the way some people eat steaks, I've seen them, it's almost like they just wave a steak at a fire and eat it. It's just a bloody mess. Ooh, I don't see how they do that. But anyway, it says here, you're not supposed to eat the fat or the blood. Fat is very unhealthy, and there's life in the blood. So you're eating the life of that animal or something like that. Now, uh, it doesn't have life in it then, but it did have. The fat could have been used in making anointing oil. A lot of reference books state that oil is made from fats of animals in the early times. But in Exodus 25.6, it also talks about spices. There was a combination of spices they used for anointing oil, too. Um, and this is could be why that the anointing oil is symbolized the Holy Spirit because the anointing oil came from the sacrifice of the animal that was provided you know for our forgiveness and everything now when I was a kid I can remember growing up out in the flatlands of Missouri uh, we used to have what's called tallow or something like that oil from the animal fat to burn in our lamps because we didn't have electricity so we had you know had to have oil at night time to do our homework and things like this if we did or just you know and a lot of that oil was made you know, like in slaughtering hogs and uh, cows and stuff, calves like this. And um, it was used for soap, for oil, and a thing called suet. Now, some of you older women out there listening might know what suet is, but it's, it was for cooking. And uh, 
all these different things the hidden parts of the animal were used for different things like it uh, and like the Holy Spirit came out of Jesus sacrifice well the oil comes out the anointing oil then comes out of the sacrifice for the people in those days like it is symbolic so uh, now we have then that Jesus forgives and cleanses our heart the Holy Spirit anoints sacrifice sac sanctifies us through teaching us God's Word and the Holy Spirit then you know come after Jesus was uh, sacrificed so we had a priest whose sins were forgiven and Jesus fulfilled that the animal without blemish Jesus fulfilled that and I'll tell you in just a few minutes you know we'll go through how he did that um, he was our perfect sacrifice without blemish they sprinkled his blood now you may not have heard about this but this is in uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 2 and 3 1 Peter 1 verse 2 and 3 it says here, um, well, that was the second Peter. No wonder it didn't say it. Okay, first Peter. It says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be to you. Sprinkling of blood. That's the only time in the scripture it says specifically the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. Now, there's a lot of times it's talked about sprinkling of the blood in uh, Hebrews. Sometimes it's talking about the bulls and goats and everything back in the Old Testament. But two or three times it's talking about the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. But see, it doesn't say that specific. But now that you know that his blood was sprinkled as he was on the cross dying for us, we'll see in a minute just how that happened. And it was sprinkled for the mercy. He also uh, took our sins on the cross like the scapegoat to take our sins you know out away from us and to never return he took our sins off into the wilderness and God says so many times in scriptures he'll forgive and forget our sins that are forgiven okay now let's take a look first at how Jesus fulfilled these requirements that he's got to fulfill he's a priest without sin lamb without blemish uh, another reason they say lamb is because see sheep don't fight when they're going to the slaughter they don't fight, argue, kick back, or anything like that. Jesus didn't either. He he left everything about that crucifixion and everything in his father's hands because he, he was arrested illegally. He was charged illegally. And, you know, and different things like that that was done illegally. I'll say illegally. Illegally according to the uh, Sanhedrin's and uh, the laws operating during the, during the uh, ceremony and everything. Well... John 5:19:30. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, those Son likewise. Jesus was obedient to do only what his Father did and what his Father told him to. In verse 30, Jesus says, um, I can of my own self do nothing. Now, this is the man Jesus talking here. He could do nothing himself. As I hear, I judge. Remember now, as the man Jesus, uh, he had Christ, the living word, in him. He was full of the spirit of grace. He came in the fullness of grace and truth. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 17, that grace and truth came by Jesus, and he came in the fullness of it. So he had the living word, God, in him 
the living word and God are one and the same. So often he said his father's in him. Well, you know, Christ in him is the same as saying his father's in him. And again, I point out, the same living word that was in Jesus is in us too as Christians. Colossians 1 says, uh, 127, the mystery of the gospel, Christ in us. So we have Christ in us, the living word, as much as we have received into us, see, we're the only ones that limit, you might say, the amount of Christ or the, the Christ in us. And and there's some people have a lot of God's word in them, living word in them, and some have just come in, you know, uh, off of a street corner somewhere and they just cried out, oh, God, forgive me. But like it says in Second um, Corinthians Let's see, 316, when it, the heart of man, turns to the Lord, the veil of separation is lifted. So see, people can get saved having very little of God's word in them, just a heart calling out to God. And uh, Jeremiah 29, 13, you shall seek me, find me, when you search for me with all your heart. See, so when a person just cries out with all their heart, God hears and answers heart language. But we grow then to be more like Jesus, to be more like Christ in, by receiving more of God's living word in our heart, by studying God's word, by fellowshipping with other Christians, listening to testimonies. What is it? Uh, Revelation twelve eleven. They overcame in the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. See, testimonies are very important. You should be sharing your testimony every week with people, whether they're whether you know they're Christians or not, you know, sharing what God's doing in your life. How else are they going to know what it's like to be a Christian. I tell you what, Christianity is not looked on very favorable in our society, so you need to start sharing your testimony because that's a way to overcome the devil that's coming against our country and coming against us and Christians all around the world, persecuting them and everything. You share that testimony of Jesus. Okay. So, he's fulfilled the sacrificial requirements there. Jesus always sought and did the will of his Father. John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 says, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you shall know that I am he, and that I do nothing myself, but as my Father has taught me. I speak these things, and he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, and I do always those things that please him. Now see, that, that's a walk of faith there, doing all those things that please him. Jesus always pleased the Father. Jesus' faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Okay, see? So he always pleased his Father by accepting and obeying his word. Now, a lot of people I've heard in Bible studies and throughout the years and everything, they'll say, we need the faith of Jesus. We need the faith of God. We need the faith of Jesus. No, we don't. Jesus lived by his faith, acceptance and obedience to his Father's word. We have to live by our faith, the acceptance and obedience to our Father's word. In uh, 1 John 5, 4, it says, And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, see, our acceptance and obedience to God's word puts up our shield of faith around us, like in the, what is it, Ephesians six sixteen. Our shield of faith comes from us accepting and obeying God's word. And uh, we have victory over the world through our faith. See, we have the same faith in that Jesus had, except he had his faith because he accepted and obeyed his Father's word. We have to accept and obey God's word uh, and God, you know, like that. And we have the same faith. But we can't have Jesus' faith. See, it don't make sense. I can't have your faith. You can't have my faith. 
But we can have the same faith as each other, our own faith, if we accept and obey God's word. And that's what we each have to do. I, I can't, you know, pass my faith on to anybody. I can pass my testimony on to people about faith. But each of us have to stand before God when he speaks to us. Like asking us to teach a Sunday school class. See, are you going to accept his word to faith and trust him enough that he'll help you teach that class? Or are you going to say, oh, I've never done that before. I can't do that. Oh, there's a lot of people more qualified than I am. Uh, I'll just help the teacher. Or I'll just go in every now and then to see if it's something I can do. See, that that's not his will. His will is for you to teach the class. In first what is it? Second Timothy, Second Timothy one nine says, He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, created in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now see, each of us have a special calling. And there's no permissive will there. This bit about permissive will doesn't exist. Now, now, he don't destroy us if we don't do that special holy calling. But see, there's only one special holy calling for each of us. And it doesn't say, well, if you pick something else, uh, oh, I'll bless that. And, you know, that's all right, too. See, he doesn't give us, you know, the permissive will to, you know, pick something else that we might like to do better or something like this. That special holy calling he has for us is the best place in our life that we can be is seeking his holy calling and I tell you what you can't really get prepared to die until you're prepared to live and seek that holy calling and it's sin not to seek the holy calling like in Second Chronicles twelve fourteen, where it says Rehoboam Solomon's son did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord see and and if you haven't prepared your heart to seek his holy calling, and if you aren't seeking his holy calling, you're going to be kind of disturbed about the idea of going to meet the Lord. And that's what's going to be one big uh, thing to disturb you, is that you haven't sought his holy calling for your life. So let me encourage you today to start doing that. There's such a joy and peace in knowing that you're doing the best you can to find his holy calling and to live there. Okay. John 10, 17-18, Jesus says, Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. See, he didn't have to die for us. He gave his life for us. And that's why God loved him so much, is because God didn't make him do that. He did it of his own choice because of his love for me and you and everybody else has been born. There's not a, never a person been born on this earth that God didn't love and want to be with him. Ezekiel 33, 11 says that God doesn't rejoice in, rejoice in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn and live. His love is for all of us too. And uh, Jesus also said in John 11:41, 41, uh, when he was praying for Lazarus to come forth out of the grave, he says, you know, Father, I know thou hearest me, thou always hearest me. But I say this so that they might know that thou hast sent me. Lazarus, come forth. See, he prayed out loud so that they would know it. He wasn't doing it like that, you know, to, to try to squeeze his father into answering his prayer or something. He says, I know you always answer me. See, he had that confidence. He was always pleasing. That means he was having a perfect walk of faith to become our sacrifice. Then uh, Hebrews 2 17 to 18, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved Jesus to be made like unto his brethren, like us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. See, he became our high priest by his perfect walk of faith. 
for in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he was able to secure those, that means to comfort and to strengthen those that are tempted. Jesus was tempted like us. He understands our sins, our sorrows, our temptations, and our hurts, and everything like that. He understands them. But see, now, a temptation now is not sin. See, Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. We can have bad thoughts, but put them aside. Submit every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, that's our goal. Now, we won't do that perfectly either all the time, but that's our goal, and we ask the Lord to forgive us when we, do, when we don't do that. Now, Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus' perfect walk of faith, acceptance, obedience to God's word. Jesus fought the devil here in the flesh. That was his fight. And he fought those temptations and everything without sin. Hebrews 5, 7 to 10, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard, and that he feared, sought, although he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him, called of God as a high priest after order of Melchizedek. See, he became our high priest without sin that he could minister to us. Like the priest had to be set free of his sins first before he could go into the altar for the congregation back here in Leviticus. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up.
You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back. Well, we finished up the first hour, and it looks like I've got about two or three more hours of material, so I better speed up a little bit because I want to try to get all this in together so you can see the whole uh, information here. Anyway, we're talking about Jesus becoming our perfect sacrifice, but his perfect walk of faith, acceptance and obedience to his Father's Word. We can have a walk by faith by accepting and obeying his Word, too. The first two requirements of the sacrifice uh, is that Jesus have the perfect walk of faith, acceptance, obedience of the word. Jesus fulfilled that requirement for a priest without sin and a lamb for a sacrificial animal without blemish. John chapter 1, verse 29 um, says here, In the next day John, speaking of John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming, seeth Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. See, he knew that was what his job was to introduce the coming of the Messiah and everything. And he did that. Uh, now, it prophesied in Genesis 22.8. Isaac asked his father Abraham on the mountain, you know, when uh, God had told him to uh, Abraham to go you know, offer a burnt offering of his son Isaac, you know, his only son. And uh, he got up there, and Isaac was, you know, wondering, he said uh, to Abraham, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said back to his son Isaac, uh, God will provide him a lamb for a burnt offering. And he did. He stopped Abraham and uh, waited till later, you know, like that. Anyway, now, Jesus is a perfect walk of faith. But now, it said in First Peter back there, you know, remember the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus? He's got to do this too. So, here are the sprinklings. It required the sacrificial animal, a bird, to be sprinkled seven times before the veil or before the mercy seat, and sometimes on the mercy seat, and sometimes on the people that were being cleansed from leprosy. But here are the sprinklings of Jesus on the cross. Uh, well, he says the sprinkling because it was allowing his blood to flow, and you know, there's life in the blood. He was giving his life on the cross, and uh, blood was coming out of him in seven different locations. And they plucked his beard. Isaiah 56, 50, verse 6 says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. They plucked his beard. Okay, they were two feet and two hands were bleeding in Psalms 22:16 prophesied and in Luke 24:39 Jesus says behold my hands and my feet that is that it is I myself this was when he had come back after his uh, uh, crucifixion and was showing Thomas who was doubting he hadn't seen him and was doubting that that was him but he was showing him the nail scars on his hands and his feet so plucking the beard and hands and feet, that's five ways. Then the crown of thorns, Matthew 27, 29, and when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. He bled from the crown of thorns, and then the terrible stripes on his back. Matthew 27, 26, and when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be 
crucified. Pilate did, delivered him to be crucified. Now, so he had seven places on his body that his life's blood were flowing out. Now, the reason this is considered the sprinkling of his blood, you know, during his sacrifice for us, is that when they put the uh, crown of thorns on his head, God could have struck them down, except in his mercy he allowed them to do it. Uh, when they were whipping him, God could have struck them down. He could have protected Jesus, but he let his son die. And that's why he loved Jesus so much. It says in First um, Peter somewhere, I don't have that memorized, but it says that he didn't even allow his flesh to be destroyed. Now, I don't know where it is today or what happened, everything like that, but it makes that statement there that he loved Jesus so much and he was so, well, let me rephrase that. He loved Jesus with a perfect love. He loves me and you, or you and I, with a perfect love too. So God doesn't have different levels of love. He loved Jesus. He loves us the same. He loves lost people, sinners the same, with perfect love. That's why Jesus died for me everything. So let me rephrase that. He was so pleased with Jesus that he exalted him later, we'll see, to the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the intention was to start with just to exalt him to be our mediator. But God exalted him through that mediation uh, level to the fullness of Godhead bodily. He was so pleased with him and didn't even allow his flesh to be destroyed. Now, the Bible says that. I don't know where his flesh is today or what happened everything. It doesn't say any more about it. Now, so we see that he was bleeding from seven spots on his body. And you say, well, what about the sword? Uh, John 19:34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced Jesus' side, and forthwith came uh, the out blood and water. Now, since Jesus was already dead, they didn't break his legs, as was prophesied in uh, Psalms 34:20. Not one broken bone. Now, see, if he had still been alive, then they would have broke his legs so that he would died quicker. But since he was already dead, when they pierced his side. They found out he was already dead, so the prophecy in Psalms 34:20 was fulfilled. They didn't break any of his bones. There's no coincidence that Jesus shed the blood seven times for us. Like it says there in Peter, the sprinkling of Jesus' blood to fulfill the sacrifice. 1 Peter 1, verse 2 and 19, but with the, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Then uh, verse 2, Let according to foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, washing our hearts with blood. Now, Hebrews 12.24, And to Jesus, now the, the man now, mediator of a new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than Abel. See, the man Jesus was the one that died on the cross for us. And when he was on the cross, uh, I might jump ahead here just a little bit. In Mark 15 it says, God, he, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's when the Spirit of Christ in him left him left him with total separation in his heart from God. See, Jesus had never been separated from God. In fact, when when Mary was conceived, the Spirit of Christ is the one that conceived Mary. The Holy Spirit, say, you know, conceived Mary. So 
he had this his spirit he had the spirit of god in him all through his nine months in the womb when he came out when he was born he had the spirit of god in him he had never been separated from his father until right on the cross near the end of the time he says my god my god why hast thou forsaken me then the spirit of christ left him now see sin is a separation of the heart from god that's when Jesus took on the sins of the world. When the Spirit of Christ left him and he cried out, his heart was filled with stuff that he had never even had before. See, he had an empty heart then of, of God, but it was filled with the sins of the world. And Jesus then died just a short time after they offered him a... a some vinegar or something like that and they thought he was crying out for somebody you know uh, Elijah or somebody to come save him or something like that but uh, he was crying out because he had never had all that terrible stuff in his heart you know like that that he took from us see and that's how he became our scapegoat he took those sins himself that separation of his heart from his father when when Christ left him there on the cross and he took all those sins in him the sins of the world and now we can be set free of it. He took our sins. He that knew no sin took our sins that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Okay. That's Mark fifteen thirty four. Well, Jesus said that uh, shed his blood seven times for us for the mercy seat of God. And, uh, and he took our sins from us like atonement, you know, for our atonement, like the scapegoat took the sins out in the wilderness and didn't come back. Well, Jesus took our sin somewhere, you know, never come back. Now, words used in the Hebrew language seem to cover, say that uh, atonement means to cover or to wipe away for reconciliation between God and man. See, and that reconciled us in between uh, God if we receive his, if we voluntarily receive him, invite him to come into our heart. See, that's what it means in Ezekiel 36, 26, where it says, A new heart also will give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. See, when he puts his spirit in us, we're reconciled to God then. And that's what it means in the scriptures when it talks about, you know, the work of grace. The work of grace then is God forgiving our sins and, and creating us a new heart. We all come into the family of God with a clean, new heart filled with His Spirit. Now, it would be great if it stayed filled, but then as we let things of the world come back in, everything like that, you know, we don't stay that way. But yet, we start out that way, all of us with a perfect heart, made by God, you know, something like that, and filled with His Spirit. And we're adopted as family. That's what Jesus meant said, be born again. See, we're born into the family of God. Like in the book of James, it says we're engrafted in, you know, like that. Now, you know, God's in us. Our source is Christ. He's the vine. We're the branches. And that branch receives all of his, you know, substance for living and everything from the vine. And that's the way it is now with His Spirit in us. We have life. Jesus said, My words are spirit and they are life. We have the life of God in us in. A man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, that living word of God now is in us. Christ in us, our hope of glory. Galatians 4 6 says, And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Wherefore you are no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then heir of God through Christ. See, through Christ, the living word in us, we invite him to come in. For by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2 8 said, See, when we accept God's word, then, that we're a sinner, accept that Jesus is the answer for our sin, and we turn to him then and say, Lord, please forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. And see, and we turn from the world with all our heart like that. Then Jesus' response is to send his living word, Christ, into our heart. And Christ comes in then and creates in us a new heart, a new life, forgives us and everything, and we become a child of God. And like Romans 8 9 says, now, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God living in you. He said, Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. See, the only way to become a child of God is to receive the Spirit of Christ in our heart. Until then, we're his creature. You know, lost people are his creature and everything. And he loves them with a perfect love. But we're only his children when we receive his Spirit in our heart and we then are engrafted into the family of God and become a child of God when the Spirit of Christ comes in us. And like it says in Romans 8, 11, it says, Now, if any man, let's see, and if the Spirit of him that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of Christ raised Jesus from the dead, if the Spirit of him that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised Christ Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. That's one of the best healing scriptures in the Bible, you know. The same Spirit that brought Jesus back to life, the Spirit of Christ that brought him back to life, lives in our bodies. My goodness, you know, that that's a healing spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. Anyway, the Toma, he took those sins on the cross. Now, when we die, what we call a physical death here, when we talk about dying, we're just going to drop this body and we won't, our heart won't be separated with God when we, when we die physically here from this earthly body and everything. We'll just move right off to be with him in the spirit. See, Jesus didn't do that. When, when the spirit of Christ left him, he spent that time separated from his father. And that was a terrible thing. Anyway, uh, he took that for us. So now, Hebrews chapter 5, 18 to 20. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus and has given us a ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Jesus. Now, Christ was in Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespass in them, and has committed to us a word of reconciliation. Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ, or ambassadors for Jesus, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he made him Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was our scapegoat, took our sins. Now, it also includes for health and healing. And uh, remember the sacrifice for the birds now, for sickness and leprosy. Uh, as we go through that, the, uh, well, you know, they took the two birds and they killed one. They used one to sprinkle the blood seven times on the person that was going to be cleansed from leprosy. And then... Um, that took went to the house and did the same procedure again, killed one bird and sprinkled the house and everything. Isaiah 53, 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, chastisement of peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. 
him. And some versions say with his wounds, because see, as terrible as the stripes were, he was bleeding from the head, from the crown of thorns, he was bleeding from his hands and feet, from the spikes, and he was bleeding from his face, from the beards being plucked. So he, he was bleeding and hurting and suffering all over. Now, in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins on his sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins now should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed by whose stripes ye were healed see he, he's already provided that done it but see we've got to come in promises in the scripture we have we have to inherit the promises by faith but that means we have to know the promises we have to believe and receive the promises by faith for them to come alive in us uh, just because we're Christian, uh, most Christians, most of us, are not living in the fullness of what we should be living here. When we get there and see Jesus, I would guess that probably almost all of us would like to come back and redo a lot of things that we missed out on here because of just not knowing about it, not taking the time to study the scriptures and find out what's available to us in our new life in Christ, you know, as a, a child of God and everything. And then for some of those things, it says that we didn't trust him enough to believe it was actually that good. Like John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it should be done unto you. Is that really true? Is it that great? In um, Matthew 7, 11, it says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more shall your heavenly father give the holy spirit and good things to those that ask him see you think about all the good things you'd give to your cute little grandkids and everything and then you think well how much more my heavenly father give me how many of us experienced it that full of joy though see we're missing out on so much here and also in the see what is it first uh first john three eighteen. Excuse me, First John three twenty two. It says, "And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him." Now, whatsoever we ask, we receive him. everything. Whatsoever we ask, we receive Him, because we obey His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, doing those things that are pleasing in His sight is accepting, obeying His word to faith, accepting His word into our heart to faith. And then the very next verse says, and this is commandment, that we believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we do that to become a Christian. Believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and learn to love one another. See, learning to love each other and learn love people, that, that's our biggest problem, is learning to love each other. Pray for those who despitefully use you. You know, forgive others, lest you know you give Satan advantage. Uh, don't go to bed angry, you know, something like this. It's different things like it. Husbands, treat your wives according to knowledge. Be joint heirs, grace, life. Lest your prayers be hindered. You know, all these things like this. Learn to love each other. It's what we need to do. But for healing here, Matthew eight sixteen says, And when evening has come, he brought unto him, Jesus, many that were possessed with devils and cast out spirits. With his word healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our firmity and bare our sicknesses. Now that's not just spiritual sicknesses. Yeah, he heals it, you know, the sin. But this is talking about physical. Up here in Isaiah, that he wounded for our transgression, buried, bruised for our iniquities, chastised him our peace bone, and with his stripes we're healed. See, he's talking about physical healing here. Psalms 103, verses 2 to 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, 
who healeth all thy diseases. Exodus 23:25 says, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. Now today we probably need to ask him to include blessing our air too. But anyway, see, those were promises to the Old Testament people. And and Jesus is, you know, the mediator or the established the even better covenant with better promises, it says, about Hebrews chapter 8. Even better promises than they had in the Old Testament. Now, from death to resurrection, there's some things here that you probably haven't heard of before, but <clears throat> I'm going to read these verses because I don't understand them either completely, but I'll read them just so you can say you've heard them and know that they're there. That when he died on the cross, the period of time from the Friday or whenever it was he died till he was resurrected, what happened to Jesus? Now, the word of faith moving a bunch of them say that Jesus went to hell, fought the devil, claimed a victory, and came out with keys to the kingdom and all this stuff. That sounds like a great story for our great Savior and like this. But the problem is, it isn't true. It isn't true. And you can't bless God and build him up with a made-up fable or lie. Okay, Jesus didn't go to hell and fight the devil. One big reason is the devil has never been in hell. He's not in hell now. He never will be in hell. If you look in Revelation chapter 20, about verse 10, it says the devil and his angels were cast into the lake of fire. Verse 11 it talks about the white throne judgment. And then following that, it says, And death and hell and everything that was in it is cast into the lake and fire also. See, the devil's not in hell. He goes to the lake of fire before, the, right before the white throne judgment. He's here on earth today deceiving people. Jesus couldn't have gone to hell to fight him. And, and not only that, when, when the devil goes to the lake of fire and says he's going to be tormented daily for eternity, he's not going to be the supervisor in the lake of fire down there punching people with a pitchfork and stupid things like that. He is going to be the one tormented. And Jesus says in Matthew 25:41, uh, speaking to the goats, uh, separating sheep from the goats and the people that go to the lake of fire, he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal um, um, everlasting fire, tormenting fire, created for the devil and his angels. See, that lake of fire was never created for one person that God has allowed to be born on this earth. It's people rejecting the Lord and rejecting the love of Second Thessalonians 2, 10, 11, the Apostle Paul says, because people reject the love of the truth, the love of the gospel, they don't receive the, the spirit of the gospel, the love of it, into their heart. That's why people are going to the lake of fire. And it's because their choice to refuse Jesus. Now, what happened while he was in the grave? Uh, first, a uh, sign of Jonas. Matthew 12 and 16 says, An evil heart and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. That's what Jesus said. And the prophet Jonas went in uh, belly of a large fish about three days and three nights, something like that. And so it says that's going to be the sign that uh, Jesus is going to be like that too. Now, but remember now, he didn't go to hell to fight the devil. Several times I've already read you in scriptures where it says he finished his work here on earth. You know, he says to his father, it says in John 17, he says, I have finished the work you give me. Jesus finished his work here fighting the devil. And that illegal arrest they made and, and 
their crucifixion was wrong and things like this, you know, that he could argue about, but he didn't. Okay. Now, Ephesians 4, 8 to 10. No, let's see. Let's skip that. Let's go to 1 Peter 4, 1. For as much then as Jesus has suffered for our, us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. Jesus suffered in the flesh for us. He didn't have to finish his work in hell or anywhere else or, or something like that. In fact, in John 19.30 on the cross, Jesus says, It is finished. He finished his work. 1 Peter 3.18-20 For Jesus also has once suffered, once suffered now, and died for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He brought alive. He died once, the perfect sacrifice. Now, verse 19. This is what he did during those three days. Some of what he did, and I don't understand it. And uh, I'll just read it, though, so you can hear it yourself. First Peter 3:19, By which also he, Jesus, went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited, You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. And welcome back. Now after Jesus' death, uh, His resurrection is very important to each of us. Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. For in much then as children partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Before I became a Christian, I was afraid of flying. I was afraid of car trips, accidents, heights. Uh, there wasn't much I wasn't afraid of. I didn't. I tried as my best not to let people know it and everything. I just thought it was normal for everybody to kind of have those fears. But I know that when I became a Christian and Christ came into my heart, you know, like that, He took away that fear of death for me because, uh, and, and seeing His presence and answering my prayers, and like it says in First Corinthians fifteen fifty-four to fifty-seven. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and the mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall He be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the 
The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through Lord Jesus Christ. All we do is just move out of this fleshly body and into God's presence in the Spirit. Apostle Paul expressed this in Philippians 1, verses 21 and 23. For me to live is Christ, he said, and to die is gain. He's looking forward to it. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I want not. For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He's saying it's more needful to the people for him to stay and minister and reach people for the Lord and everything. Now, God is very important to us. I mean, God, our lives are very important to him. Uh, you can't die by accident, first thing. God is anywhere you are. And like in Psalms 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them. Psalm 72, 14, he shall ransom thy soul from deceit and violence. Precious shall be the blood in his sight. That is for his people. And in uh, Psalms 116:15, precious in sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. There's no such thing as accidental death. Uh, when he was talking about the uh, cities of refuge in the Old Testament, uh, you might look up Exodus 21:13, and when people accidentally kill people in Exodus 21:13, the scripture says that when the Lord lets it happen or something like that, you know. So it's no accidental death to God. He, he things don't happen by accident in in His His world. Okay. Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am he that liveth, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. 28.18, Jesus says, Matthew 28.18, he says, uh, all power in the heaven and earth is given to me, you know. And in 1 Peter 4.1, stated, Jesus suffered for us in the flesh. He didn't go to hell and wrestle the keys from the devil in some big fight. Now, resurrection. Uh, we have that victory over death. We know that we're just going to leave here and go to be with the Lord and everything. Apostle Paul mentioned in Philippians 3.10 that to know him and the power of his resurrection, 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter 3.21, 1 Peter 3.21, um, no, excuse me, 1 Peter 3.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. That incorruptible seed that liveth and abideth forever. And that is a good one, but that wasn't the one I was looking for. But it is just as good as the one I was looking for. Okay, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 21. And like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Not to putting away of the filth of the flesh like my water, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, by his resurrection spirit, we're baptized into the body of Christ. Like in Romans 12, 13, the Apostle Paul says, by one spirit are we all baptized into the body of Christ. So uh, the resurrection spirit of Christ, you know, he was he forgives our sins by his you know, makes way because of he's our perfect sacrifice for the sins, the, the perfect walk of faith, and the, uh, 
sprinkling of his blood and the atonement, you know, like that, taking that sin on, on the cross for us and, and doing all that. He fulfilled all those requirements of the Old Testament sacrifice for forgiveness of sin, like that. But in his resurrection, you know, even more than the Old Testament people could even imagine, you know, he comes to live in us now. Like it was prophesied in Ezekiel 36, 26, where it says, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. Now, that's, that's you know, uh, uh, the new covenant, uh, his spirit in us. We're now a child of God. We aren't just uh, uh, a creature of his. Now, we were all his creature before without him in our heart when we was born on this earth. That's what it means by being born in total sin. We were born without the Spirit of God in us. And then he brings us to that knowledge of himself, and then we must make the choice then to humble ourselves, invite him to come into our heart. Uh, the forgiveness. He forgives us. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Jesus' sake, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. See, he's forgiven us so much, we should forgive others. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And just go on like that. See, the Old Testament people had forgiveness. But they had to go through the sacrifices and everything. Now, Jesus fulfilled that for us and everything. In fact, in Job 33, 27, they had to call out to God, too. It says here, And he, God, looked upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which is right, and it profit me not, he, God, will deliver his soul from going to the pit, and his life shall see the light. They still had the old heart and no spirit of God in them, though. See, they got the forgiveness, and they were called, you know, like God's people, God's children, and you know, like that. But not like us. They still had the old heart and no spirit of God in them when they got forgiveness. We get forgiveness, like it says in First um, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, once we turn to him with all our heart and call out forgiveness, he not only forgives us, but then he cleanses our heart. And again, Ezekiel 36, 26 is one of the best, you might say, descriptions of the work of grace. Grace is the work of the Spirit of Christ in our heart. For by grace are you saved through faith. Our acceptance and obedience, we're a sinner. Christ is the answer, and we invite him to come in our heart. Then when he comes in, he does what it says in Ezekiel 36, 26 to us. He says, a new heart also will give you, spirit of grace working in us, and a new spirit will I put with New spirit I'll put within you, and I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. And he gives us that new, pure heart as we become a child of God. When he puts his spirit in us, we become his child of God. It's a work of grace. Then we can grow in grace by receiving more of his living word into us then as we study his word and invite him to come in. Now, so the Old Testament people had forgiveness, but they did not receive the new, clean heart, the perfect heart from God, and they didn't receive His Spirit in them. Now, we get such a greater response when we call out to Him and everything. Uh, 
Now, we must confess our sins with repentance, you know, wanting to turn from the sin. Not just wanting an insurance policy to say, well, now, you know, I'm not going to go to hell anymore, something like that, because I've got my insurance policy like this. Because, see, if we call out the Lord for forgiveness, asking him to forgive us for our sins, and we're in the true heart of repentance, we'll want him to remove the sins and cleanse them also, and cleanse us from those sins also. So, see, it just... Uh, People saying, you know, that uh, I made the Lord my Savior, and then later made him my Lord, uh, you know, made him a Savior. You, you can't ask him just to forgive your sins and want to continue living like you are, see. When he comes in, he wants to be Lord of all, and he'll only come in when you want to give him all. Jeremiah 29, 13, you seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. you got to want to give him all your heart and everything. Not just, you know, uh, for an insurance policy, something like that. Now, God also uh, voluntarily removes our forgiven sins from his memory and starts us with all that salvation with a clean new heart and everything. It says he moves our sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgives and forgets our sins. And uh, they're not held against us anymore after we ask that forgiveness and everything. So uh, we have this great salvation. We have this great salvation. What are we going to do about it? Uh, if you don't want a new heart and cleansing of sin, you don't get the forgiveness either. You can't ask for the forgiveness without desiring the cleansing. Hebrews 4.2 now, this great gospel. What should you and I do in response? For unto us was gospel priest as well as in them, but the word priest did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, we heard the gospel, and we received the gospel into our heart. We humble ourselves to the gospel. Now, in Second Thessalonians 2.10, the scripture says that the people that perish are those that hear the gospel, know the gospel, and reject the love of it or the spirit of it from coming into their heart. And Romans chapter 1 says we're all without excuse. God's going to make his presence and make his uh, gospel or whatever, you know, known to all men. Titus 2.11 says uh, the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men. Now, we've accepted and received the gospel. The only res positive response, we were all sinners. And Jesus died for us and we must humble ourselves and invite him to come in. Now, once we've received him into our heart, uh, there needs to be, you know, uh, something on our part, you know, to get out and seek our holy calling and to serve him. He's done so much for us. Jesus did so much on the cross and everything for us. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began spoken to the Lord, was confirmed in us by them that heard it? He says here, How shall we escape? So he must be talking about including himself in that. If we neglect so great a salvation, we have the greatest thing in, in throughout our lives in our heart, Christ in us. We have received the greatest gift from God, Christ in our heart. You know, an eternal um, life. We need to be sharing that with everybody we meet. 
well, you know, some of them may already be Christians. A lot of times people tell me they're already Christian. I say, now what I mean by that is, have you received the Spirit of Christ in your heart and committed your life to Him and received that new, you know, heart and life? Uh, not just you decide to join the church and, you know, uh, be a Methodist, Catholic, or a priest, I mean, a, a Baptist or something like this. It's not just selecting a denomination and joining it or something like that. That doesn't make you a Christian. It's receiving the Spirit of Christ in your heart, asking forgiveness for your sins. Now, and since he indicates we, he says, what if we neglect so great a salvation? Uh, how do we neglect it? By failing to share with others. And, well, like in uh, Psalm 67, the Jews of the Old Testament were supposed to have been God's priest on earth. He says, God be merciful and bless us. Cause your face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth. You're saving health among all the people, among all the nations. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increase. And God, even our God, shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear you. Now, see, the Jews were supposed to spread God's love and word all over the world. But we as Christians are supposed to be doing that now. We're supposed to be sharing and uh, drawing people. In one place back in the, the book of Peter, it says, We're a chosen generation, you know, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you know, for God to be out and share his word, his love and everything. And we're going to have to answer the judgment seat of Christ for things we've done and have not done, you know, and failing to seek God's holy calling for our life. And the day in our society, you know, Christians aren't doing that good a job. Uh, somehow or another, we're not getting through to the people that, you know, Christ is the answer. And uh, it seems like nowadays, instead of looking for somebody that's a Christian, when people needs help, need help, and you know, like in Washington and our government, things like this, they the first thing they want to do is get rid of the person that's a Christian. You know, it's become so evil and everything, but they don't see what it's like to be a Christian. Christianity has failed in our society. I'm not saying Christ has failed. I'm saying Christianity. Christianity has failed to show the joy of the Lord. Failed to show the you know, the blessings of the Lord, what it's like to be a child of God, you know, how we've got so many denominations fussing back and forth with differences and everything. But uh, the love of God is not shining through to these people because they're looking for love too. Everybody is looking for love to fill that void in their heart. All our hearts were created alike. And it's certainly God's will for everyone to be saved. It's not God's will that any should perish. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, it says, Who, speaking of God, will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And when he commands it, even in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, it says, And this is his commandment, that we believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. See, he's commanding people everywhere to to believe and receive because that's what he's created us for and it's it's been that way all along in Isaiah 43 21 um, God says this people of I form for myself they shall show forth my praise and see the Jews were to be his praise the, you know his ministers throughout the world in the Old Testament period but we as Christians are supposed to be sharing today and, and carrying his uh, uh, 
well message to all the earth in uh, Titus 2.11 says the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men see he's going to make his way somewhere or another to that people will know him at some time here on earth now, I don't know how he does it for all of them and everything but he tries to use us as Christians in sharing our testimony to be an encouragement to those that uh, haven't received him yet into their heart that they will turn to him you know, like in Revelation 12 11 where it says and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies it was speaking of the devil they overcame the devil by the, see Jesus had already done that by his perfect walk of faith and his sacrifice force and everything but now we're supposed to be sharing our testimonies so that people can see what God is doing for us and that we can be an encouragement to them and Ezekiel 33 11 God says, Say unto them as I live, I have no pleasure in death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die? You know, it, he didn't create people to come here and die and go to hell like this. Um, he doesn't predestine people to do that either. Uh, in Acts 17, chapter 17, verse 30, But now God's commanded men everywhere to repent. See, he's commanded people to repent, and he's talking about repenting here, turning from their sins and turning to him. And, uh, see, he loves everybody with a perfect love. In, uh, what is it, John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There, we have... Uh, a whole large group of Christians uh, that are called Calvinists, people that believe that God predestines people prior to their birth here on earth. He pre God predestines people to heaven, and they're going to go to heaven regardless of what happens here on earth. And he predestines others to go to hell, and they're going to go to hell regardless of what happens here on earth. That's called you know, Calvinism. Um, it's called that God election election prior to birth well I'm going to show you that election is to service uh, I can't go through all of that but I have other broadcasts and podcasts you need to go back and look at that talk about election and predestination and everything but I'm going to share you real quick here that that you ought to be able to see that there's no such thing as God predestining people to heaven or hell now I just quoted John 3:16. let's take a look at it again you know, Jesus went through all that suffering that I've talked about this morning, uh, and then dying on the cross, uh, seven different ways he was bleeding on the cross. You know, his two feet, his two hands, beard being plucked, the uh, thorn of uh, crown of thorns on his head, and the terrible stripes on his back and everything. All that suffering, dying on the cross, humiliation, all this. But he did it for us. The scripture says he saw beyond the cross what was going to happen, that we were going to be able to be transformed then from just creatures of God. When when he came back to live in our hearts, you know, after um, he was resurrected and, and the spirit came back then to live in us, where, you know, like in Ezekiel 36, 26 again, where he says, new heart also will give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. See, that's when we become a child of God. And Jesus knew that was going to happen if he completed that perfect walk of faith and sacrifice and everything. So he did it for us. 
he didn't have to. His father gave him commandment that he didn't have to do that, but he did. So now, in going through all that suffering and everything, that, that we might be set free of our sins and become a child of God, listen to John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, let me add just a couple of other things to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to suffer and die on the cross, to, to go through all of that you know, humiliation and things like this, the persecution and, and all this suffering he did in, in the perfect walk of faith and dying for us and everything, that those who are predestined to go to heaven will go to heaven and they might not be lost. See, it don't make sense. Jesus came to die for everyone. Nobody was predestined to go to heaven prior to being born on this earth. Jesus came to make the way for us. Now, the Calvinists would teach that, you know, he only died on the cross for those that God loved, and it was going to, you know, die and go to heaven. But he didn't need to die on the cross for them if his father, if God had already predestined them to heaven. See, there wasn't any purpose. And that's what the devil's trying to do. The devil will do everything he can to take away from Jesus' work on the cross. And, and even, even has people saying that uh, grace is God's unmerited favor. It is not. Grace is a work of the Spirit of God in our heart to create in us a new heart, a new life, and, a, and accept us into his family. Again, the new covenant. A new heart also will give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you a heart of flesh, and put my spirit in you. That's a description of the work of grace, the great love God has to us, that he's taken away the stony heart. He's forgiven our sins. Forgive them, forget them. But he takes away, gives us a new pure heart without all that corruption and everything in it. He puts his spirit of love in us, and now we are a child of God, like Galatians 4, 6 says, And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father, wherefore thou no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then heir of God through Christ. See, the instant he puts his spirit in us and comes to live in our heart, in that new clean heart that he's created for us, we are children of God. Now, that's the great work that was going to take place after the cross that Jesus saw through the cross at the great things that were going to happen for us that he suffered and died and went through all that suffering for and everything. But it's not just for a few people that have been predestined to already go to heaven, see. Nobody's been predestined to already go to heaven. Nobody's been predestined to go to hell. It has to be by, you know, the person's choice. Election is to uh, service, as talked about in, uh, well, between uh, Esau and Jacob, when, when God was talking to uh, them in Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 14, Apostle Paul says, uh, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, 
neither having done any good or evil, the purpose of God according to election might stand. And you'll see just a minute that purpose of God was which one was going to be the leader of his people. And that was Jacob. Uh, it was service, not of works, but of him that calleth. He said unto her, The elders shall serve the younger. And he's written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. What say then? Is there any unrighteous with God? God forbid. Now he's saying here, that was not true about God. God did not say he hated Esau. If you look back over in uh, Malachi chapter 1, verses, uh, first three verses, where it talks about uh, that, and, and it appears to say that God hated Esau, you'll see in there that the, the burden of the word of the Lord, Malachi, I have loved you, saith the Lord. See, he's saying, I've loved you. Yet you say, see, he's quoting back to the people here the lie they've been telling about him, and that lie is, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains, and heritage to waste. He did destroy the mountains um, uh, six, seven hundred years, or, you know, the, their homeland in Mount Seir, because some of the children, um, uh, some of the Esau's descendants attacked the children of Israel when they came out of bondage and killed some of them, brought the curse of God on them. But right here he's saying, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say. See, he's quoting back to them the lie they've been telling about him. He, God never said that. And this is a scripture that people use to say that God did say it. But if you read it correctly, you'll see that he was just quoting back to them the lie that he was going to correct them for. Now, now in Second uh, Timothy 2.10, here Paul says, Therefore I endured all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation. See, here he's saying the elect, he does all things for the elect's sake. See, the elect were the Jews that was going to be God's um, ambassadors here on earth at that time. We are the ambassadors of Christ now. But see, Paul's saying here, the elect's sake, that they may also obtain salvation. See, so that that's... Election doesn't mean that uh, uh, that people are saved, because he's talking about the elect's sake need to be saved. Now, over here in First uh, Timothy 5:21, now it's clear as any can be that election is not talking about salvation. Here, First Timothy 5:21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. Now, see the elect angels. Elect angels. Angels have nothing to do with salvation. In fact, when Cornelius needed to know about Jesus in Acts chapter 10, God sent him a, a message, a, a vision, and an angel in the a vision to tell him to go call for Peter, Simon, and he'll come tell you what you need to do. And, uh, and God told Peter then to go tell him about Jesus. See, he didn't tell Cornelius through the angel about Jesus. See, the angel was just a messenger, a, a service. In all the book of Daniel, angels were just uh, uh, service for God. All through the scriptures, not, the angels did not have anything to do with salvation, and especially here to the elect angels, they certainly wasn't saved. They're never going to be saved. So see, the Apostle Paul, he's the one that started saying, you know, He's the first one to use the word election in um, Romans chapter 9. He started teaching about election. And he was one of the smartest men of the Old Testament and everything. He knew angels didn't have anything to do with being saved and teaching about salvation and stuff. So it had to be service, and it was service. Which, um, 
Jacob or Esau, which one was going to serve the other, and you know which one was going to serve God and leading his people. Now in Matthew twenty five forty one, Jesus said, separating the sheep from the goats. And then shall he, the king, say unto them that are on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See, Jesus is even saying here that the lake of fire was never prepared for uh, people. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, not us. So there, there was no one, there has been no one ever born on this earth that was predestined to heaven or hell. Everybody has had a free will choice. Even that Pharaoh back there, what about him? God hardened his heart. Well, that Pharaoh was under the curse of God. See, we don't understand the curse of God so much today, but they did back then. But God gave him nine opportunities with those miracles and everything to get out from under that curse and let his people go and then finally he said okay I'm going to harden his heart that I might be glorified and at last in uh, uh, curse then the Pharaoh himself called the curse on him by saying he was going to kill the, the firstborn of all the children of you know the children of Israel there that was in, in slavery and that same curse came back on him in the land of Egypt then he voiced it himself now see so no one's ever been born to predestined to die and go to hell look up my podcast and 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 um, I'll give you the information about it in just a few minutes but I've got a bunch of them on there look up about predestination and, and election and everything and, and get it in more detail but like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to do all that suffering and dying on the cross and being persecuted and all this, so that people that he had already predestined to heaven would go to heaven? See, it don't make sense. They're going to go to heaven. If, if predestination was true, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come and die on the cross and do anything for us. They're the ones that you know God predestined to go to uh, heaven. See, because they'd already be set to go to heaven. And the lost people, he wouldn't need to die for them because they're already predestined to go to hell. See, that don't make sense at all. It's just a lie of the devil. And look at my podcast on um, predestination and election. You'll see that Jesus' service here on earth and his work for us was because of his love for us. And he did go through all that suffering. He died for us that we might live. We will never have that separation from God again when we receive the Spirit of Christ in our heart. So, You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at R-A-H-A-R-D-I-N dot com. 
At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. 